Heavenly Father, we thank you for the day again. We thank you for the lunch that we've just had. I pray that as we are digesting, we were able to get the nourishment we need and that uh, we would stay awake, that it wouldn't put us to sleep. Father, we know that after lunch, we have a tendency to get a little um, sleepy, so I pray that you just keep us awake and alert, that we hear the things you want us to hear. Pray that you would help us to present clearly, and that you would fill in for our deficiencies. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to share these things. Um, I know that you, you need your people to hear these things. You need us to be about your business. And so, Father, we just pray that this would be a tool, a, a help for those, whether here or on Audioverse or wherever they hear this, that uh, you would be glorified and they could be directed according to your will and purposes. We thank you for this and we thank you in Jesus' name. And for his sake we pray. Amen. I just wanted to start with um, mentioning again that as a farmer, you do so many things. You become a construction worker, a mechanic, all these different things. I was so impressed by Larry because, you know, before the farm, the only thing he really ever built was skateboard ramps. <laughs> and um, he wasn't, he didn't get really good grades in school. He had a learning disability, so they basically told him he didn't know how to learn. And so he decided we were going to build a wash station, and he researched it and researched it, and he built the building by himself, essentially, which is really awesome. I could never do that. <laughs> you tell me what to do, and I can do it fine. But to actually research something and find out exactly how to you know, do the concrete and put the building up, is it's a big endeavor. It took us about two seasons. On and off. On and off, two seasons to get it completed. So farming is such an amazing thing. It really stretches you in ways that you uh, might not have ever been stretched before because when things need to be done, you just have to learn how to do it. And he pushes me a lot on the farm because I just want to be told what to do and just follow directions. And he says, no, you know, you need to figure out how to do it. So I just encourage you all along the way to um, embrace the concept of getting out of your comfort zone and trying new things. So this is a picture of our wash house in construction, and then at the very end, you can see it completed. Yeah, so we were a little rushed at the end, and this is on layouts and systems, and, and I think layouts and systems are quite important. Fundamentally, if you come to a piece of property and you start farming right away, and you don't have some sort of idea of what you're going to put there. If, say you, once you build a building and all of a sudden you realize you need an irrigation line to go across that building, that's not really practical. And so <laughs> developing a layout and a system before you get into the process is extremely important. Um, so what I do and what I did, or isn't what I do, this is what I did. This is my fields. This is how I laid out my fields. And I just went into, well, numbers. And I use the blocks as five-foot increments. And so this is all based on five-foot increments. We have 100-foot beds. They're five feet wide because my, my tractor has a five-foot wheelbase, and that's how we always drive on those same tire tracks. So everything is a kind of a permanent raised bed. It's not a raised bed, a permanent bed system, though, even though we're using a tractor. So what I did is this is my wash station here. What you can't see on this is this, these three plots here are equal to one of these. And then this is equal to that one. And so I have three sections, as in my mind, I view this as one section, two sections, three sections. Does everybody understand that? Over here, I have one, two, and then three over here on my field. So I put my wash station here so that at any given time, I'm relatively in the middle, as best as I could, place my wash station. So you don't want to be walking way, way far away once you harvest something. You don't want to walk 10, 15 minutes to get to your wash station with it. Or you don't want to be driving all over, if you can avoid it. And so when you think about these things, you want to consider how long it's going to take you to get from, if you forget your knife in the wash station and you've walked all the way out, you know, across your field, you're just burning up time, and time is crucial on a farm. And so layout is very important. 
The other thing that I use this for is my rotation plan. You can see I have salad mix, peas. Um, you I don't know if you can read these. This is carrot, celery, turnip, radish, parsnips are going here. All these itty bitty little dots on the computer, you know, and I blow those up. That'll tell me watermelon, musk melon, you know, head lettuce, um, carrots, celery. So I know which bed is which. And so when I move this around every year, I have a rotation plan. So my rotation plan is very systematic. It's very easy to follow. Um, the other thing that doing the layout and, and having the systems in place is now I can know when I do my irrigation system, I'm, I'm coming out of my pump house, I'm coming out and I'm running irrigation, in-ground irrigation through all these places. I can get irrigation to my greenhouses. How am I getting the irrigation to my greenhouses? Um, one of the other things you want to consider is when you walk out into your field, if you're seeing puddles that don't seem to dissipate very quickly after a big rainstorm, where's the water flow? How's the water flow through your, your garden? And these are things you, you really want to consider before you even move into really trying to grow things. Because if you have a really bad wet spot, you may consider tile drain and getting that stuff to drain out faster because it's going to make a big difference in how fast you can get into the field. Does that make sense? And so these things sound extreme to a lot of people who haven't considered it. If you would have asked me when I started farming, even not many years ago, we spent $2,000 this year putting one drain one tile drain in that went up into the middle of this field, cut across, and went all the way along this whole field down here and out our property. We would lose, on this field right here, we were losing about a quarter of our crops at the end of the field. They were sitting in water so much, it drains so slow. We have sandy soil. It, it shouldn't, but we sit on top of sandstone. Sandstone isn't porous, so the water has to move laterally, and it takes a long time to move through the soil. And so we were facing really bad water issues. I spent $2,000, but if I get crop out of a quarter of this hole, 300 and, what is it, 350 foot of bed, that's a lot of money. That makes $2,000 look like a drop in the bucket. And so just uh, things like that that you want to consider when you start to do the layouts of your field, you want to be very practical about that. So this gentleman here prompted something I want to share that we don't have on here. One of the very, very first things we did was we put up a deer fence on the property. <clears throat> and that was around the whole 16 and a half acres, which he basically pound each post hole himself. And he lost about 10 pounds and had tennis elbow by the time he was done. But we haven't had any deer issues at all. And we decided that was a big decision in the beginning because it was a big expense. But the farm we were at before at the Black Hills, uh, we would have total crops devastated by deer. And we figured if we were going to try to do this and make a living at it, um, that we would need to protect the crop. So fences are, are a big deal. Can you hold the question till the end? And then we'll... Write we'll, them down. Write them <clears throat> yeah, down. write them down. Um, but fencing, it's, it's kind of a whole other topic, but we're happy to answer questions about that too. Um, and then we had mentioned before, Alan is going to have a very extensive talk on irrigation. So, um, but that is something you definitely want to think about in your layout. <clears throat> So early starts, um, we had talked about starts earlier. Um, we're gonna, they're not in our living room anymore, technically. <laughs> so in that wash station, I added an extension room and you can see the, the, the insulation on the wall. So that is two layers of insulation. We have an R20 on this room and I'll tell you why we did that. So this room has is going to be a multi-use room. I think um, not only am I controlling the climate for having early starts, but I'm also putting, is everybody here familiar with a cool bot? A cool bot? If you're not familiar with a cool bot, you need to get familiar with cool bot. It's um, storicold.com, I believe. Um, it's, a, it's a little computer that does an algorithm <clears throat> that you can take a regular window air conditioner unit and you do a small amount of labor you take the front of it off you pull their sensor out and you attach it to the sensor on the cool bot and you take the other sensor on the cool bot and you put it in the fins what it does is it has an algorithm that overrides its refrigeration unit it'll actually heat that bulb up and make it think it's warmer in the room than it really is and it will allow that air conditioner to get you down to i mean i think it'll go as low as what 32 allen 
38, well, 34 for sure. I've gotten ours down to 34. Um, well, anyway, and so you, you've, uh, it's a very inexpensive way to create a refrigeration unit for yourself. And it's a, a really good tool, but you want really good insulation or you're just wasting money. So what we're doing with this room, and you can see that gravel floor, that is not the best insulation. What we're doing with this room, we have a, a walk-in cooler that we cool with a cool bot at about 36 degrees. But this room is going to be for like tomatoes and things of that nature that you don't really want to refrigerate. You know, tomatoes, when you refrigerate them, lose flavor, they get mealy, not a good idea. But they don't last that long. If you can keep them around 55 degrees, they'll hold much longer. And so you can, your harvest window changes. You can hold, you can harvest throughout a couple of days as opposed to day of or day before. So this is going to double. So it doubles, yes. Okay. It's going to double as our early starts will have heat in there. But as soon as we're pulling, once the starts can survive the weather and the greenhouse, the starts greenhouse, which we will talk about in a moment, once they move out there, then we can turn this thing around, take the heater, or cut the heater off, turn the air conditioning on, and it becomes now a second refrigeration unit. It's, it's also our pump house. So our well pump is also in this room. So it's protected in the winter months from this room also. All right, and so the other thing that I wanted to, to talk about was, um, what was I gonna say? Oh, if you didn't wanna use it as a cooler, one of the things that is really popular right now is microgreens. When it gets really hot out, they can become you know moldy, you can have issues with it. This can also become a controlled environment for them because all the same things you started your start trays on can now become lights for your microgreens. So there's, there's multiple uses for these rooms and you should always take advantage of everything you build as much as possible. All right, so from there I'm going to talk about our seedling house. So when we started, our seedling house was a, uh, I had made a, I had made a, uh, well, Matt, actually, Matt Dealey, gifted me a little Quonset tunnel that was about this tall. And so I would stand in there like this, watering our flats. Like 100 degrees outside. And it would be so high, and the bugs were eating you alive. <laughs> and so, you know, moving to the phase where you have a starts house and you can get automated water and, and things of that nature, you don't need that. I mean, when we started in Seattle, we started our trays, we set them on the ground, and we took a piece of plastic and put a piece of plastic over it onto some cement blocks and put a two by four on the cement block and over the other one, and that's how we enclosed them. And every day we would come to the farm and open that thing up and let all our seedlings see the sun, and we would water them and cover them back up. So you don't have to go from nothing to a wash station that's, or a starts room, a starts house that's, you know, automated and elaborate. Don't be thinking this is, this is the near the end of the road. This isn't the beginning of the road. I'll just give a quick testimony. So we started out with that gifted caterpillar tunnel. And um, we actually got two of our greenhouses from a Mennonite or Amish auction. Mennonite. Mennonite auction. We had a very limited amount of funds. We were saving and saving. We didn't have enough to buy the greenhouse we wanted. And Lord providentially worked, and we got two, ha two greenhouses for the amount of money that we had that wasn't enough for one from this auction. So that's where our seedling house, this really beautiful, nice seedling house, came from an auction. Um, and Larry built the tables. They have screens so that when you water, the water drips through the bottom. And for many, many years, we have hand-watered. Yeah, and it, the wand in my hand. See the wand there? It takes hours, depending on how many plants you have in there. It's a big job. So we're happy to tell you that we've went to automation watering in this house. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll show you a little video here. Um, right after this one, I just wanted to mention the tables are important, too. They do protect from pests. You know, if you get mice run in there or anything like that, having the starts raised um, protects from animals, critters getting them somewhat. So here's a video. So now, now you literally go in there and you flip a He bought a timer. So you set the timer for 15 minutes, 20, 20 minutes. So you can just go in there, turn it, and then go do something else. And I mean, we save hours 
It was hours. It was approximately, we were saving four hours a day and watering in the early part of the year. And so it didn't mean that we didn't have to hand water. There are definitely, you know, it's not a perfect system, but it certainly gets you long ways down the road where you come back and fill in some holes. Um, in the back there is our peppers. So it's, a, it's doing dual service. It's a starts house and we put crops in there as well. So those greenhouses, the, one, the big one there, you can see, I'm, I don't know if you can tell, but I'm actually in a lad, on a ladder up in the middle of the greenhouse, the big one that's open. <laughs> um, I don't know what she's taking a picture of, but the one on the left is the starts house. And we got that greenhouse, and I added six-foot sidewalls to it because we want to do some particular stuff in there that we wanted a lot of air. We're doing tomatoes, and we wanted to keep the heat as high as possible because tomatoes, once they reach a certain temperature, will start to drop blossoms. And so the bigger the greenhouse, the more you can kind of control that, and it holds more heat in the wintertime. Um, so that was uh, the starch house on the left. That's our tomato house in the middle there. And on the right is where we do our cucumbers. And so... Just a testimony, so you heard about the, the two greenhouses, how we got those. When I was building the deer fence that we were just talking about, we used to work at the Black Hills Health and Education Center, and our bosses had come to visit, and they wanted to help. And um, they had an RV, and they parked out in front of our farm, and I was, he was helping me put these posts in. He would hold the posts, and I would climb up a ladder, and I'd bang the posts until we got it where it was supposed to be, and I had a little level on there, so they were straight. And he tells me, we're not leaving until this deer fence is done. So he stayed with us for a few weeks. And in the process, they realized that we probably needed a greenhouse. And the Lord impressed them to loan us, to loan us the money that we still haven't paid back. Um, partially. We partially paid back. And, and we, keep, we, we keep asking, Would you? they said, well, when we need it, you'll get to it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. And so the Lord, <laughs> the Lord has just constantly provided. provided when we needed something, she said, oh, you get something in the mail. I mean, we needed a well. When we moved here, we didn't have a well. That was a big concern. They had city water, and I'm like, okay, I don't know if there's water down there, and we're buying this place. We had to dig 350 feet. We hit 27 gallons a minute of, of water. So I was, I'd take 65 like Alan got, but we only got 27. Um, but that was $12,000 purchase, and we didn't have any money. The Lord provides. You step out in faith, and the Lord will make a way. I didn't ask anybody for any help, any money. The Lord, I'd go to the Lord, and he would say, you're ready for this now. Here, go do this. The coolest thing about it, too, is our family. We're first-generation Adventist, and it was his brother's wife that's a school teacher that got a big bonus one year. She gave us most of her bonus for the well. She was just convicted to help us out starting the farm. So we've had a lot of people donate and help throughout the years. So God is good. <clears throat> okay. So some things to consider with when you start thinking about a hoop house. Ventilation is really important. And when you're buying a greenhouse, there's a lot of options for how you're going to ventilate the greenhouse. You can get roll-up sides. Obviously, you have doors on the front. There's different size doors. Um, there's fans. Um, if you look at this one in particular, you can see it's kind of funny shaped at the top. That's a ridge vent. They call that a ridge vent, where I can actually roll that up on the top. That flat spot rolls up. All the heat, you know, heat rises. So all that heat that's in the top of that greenhouse, I roll that up and it just, it basically dumps right out of the top very rapidly. And so that's all a very good tool. Um, you can get temperature sensors that will operate. If you see the big louvered system there, the big square thing, there's a fan on one end and an, and a, and an opening vent on the other end that will open, cut on and open based on the temperature in the greenhouse so that it will just automatically dump heat out of the top. Um, you can do misting systems. Uh, I think at Daystar, Sean and those guys, there's, they had fans on one end, and on the other end was like a, uh, a curtain that got wet, and it would pull air through that, that wet fabric. It would cool the whole greenhouse that way. Um, so there's a lot of different ways that you can ventilate, but it's something you really should take into consideration because it can be quite expensive in addition to the purchase of a greenhouse, but 
it can be the difference between how much money you make in the middle of the summer or shutting down your greenhouse almost in the middle of the, middle of the summer. It's a, it's a really critical component. Um, I, had, I have used um, ridge vent greenhouses quite a bit. I think they're, I like them a lot. A lot of times though, it's manual and manual stuff. While it's great, it's, but you gotta manage it. And so when we go back to the first slide, systems, you want to think about your systems because you're, you know, you just, you, if you're at farmer's market, it's hard to open up the ridge vent on your greenhouse. But if it's automated and the automation that they have these days, you could open it from your phone. You know, it, there's some really technical stuff you can get into and it may sound expensive up front, but a lot of these things will pay for themselves in, in real rapid succession. I mean, they, it comes quick because if you're, if you're really operating a farm, plants will make a lot of money for you. And so the better your starts are, the better chance you have in the field. And so, you know, and if you're going into tomatoes, tomatoes are a huge cash crop. If you can keep them from getting a fungal disease because you got the humidity out, that could be thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars difference. Um, other, other ways that you can cool the, the greenhouses, they have uh, reflective shade cloths or shade cloths. They have different weights of shade cloth that you can just literally cover it with um, and that literally creates shade. So if you think about when you go out and you put your arm out in the sun and you feel the heat on your body and then when you go stand in the, under a tree, same temperature, but you're not as hot. Well, your plants have the same problem as you do and so if you put a little shade cloth over them, you can t literally cool them down that way as well. Um, I did talk about the temperature sensors with the fans, but on the roll-up, on the ridge vents, you can get those with automation that have temperature sensors. You can get humidity sensors, all these different things to help you alleviate some of the task and the pressures on you to remember to do these tasks because it can become daunting. You have so many of these little tasks that are easy to do, but there's just a lot of them to do. And managing automation can become a lot more practical than just thinking you're going to remember all those things. <laughs> all right. Um, so the next thing you want to consider when you start thinking about your greenhouse is your irrigation system. Now, there's different aspects to irrigation you want to consider when you think about a greenhouse. So if you're doing starts, there are some starts that don't want to get wet from the top. So you wouldn't want to over water them over the top. So you may want to have irrigation systems in there where you can bottom irrigate. You do want over the head irrigation for some things or if you're doing tomatoes you wouldn't want overhead irrigation but you would want drip tape irrigation. And so thinking about what you're going to do in those things. One of the things I didn't talk about that should be mentioned is in your systems when you look at my bed system if you think about it they were all hundred foot beds by five foot. That means if I have drip tape cut for this bed it fits in all my bed systems. I have two exceptions. One greenhouse is 120 foot and one greenhouse is 50. So we have special stuff that is specifically for those greenhouses. We don't use it anywhere else on the farm. But in the outdoors, everything is, is the same stuff. It's same stuff, same stuff. When we decide on our bed systems, when I say carrots, I'm going to plant carrots. I'm going to plant beets. I'm going to plant turnips. I decide what bed system is going to work best because my irrigation system has to fit into all those patterns. So if you're going to do four rows or six rows, or maybe you have a couple, because like salad mix, you're going to have a whole bed of salad mix. So you, you want to consider systems about fitting these irrigation systems in, fitting cultivation systems in, cultivating being weeding systems. They're going to be most practical for what you're doing. Touch on the movable caterpillar tunnels in the field. Um, and so... Automation or greenhouse, I'm sorry, uh, irrigation. I want to finish the irrigation on the greenhouse system. On the greenhouse systems, so you saw the little sprinklers that I had in the video I showed you for the starts. They also make the same thing, and you can run one or two rows down, depending on the pattern of the particular system you buy, that you can do overhead. So if you're doing things like head lettuce in there, it might be practical to do overhead irrigation. In the middle of the day, you can cool things down. Um, if you have overhead irrigation, you don't have stuff in your rows. Cultivation becomes easier. You don't have to worry about drip tape being in the way. 
And so these are just things you can do in your greenhouse, things to consider as you're thinking about the systems that you're going to do. Automation, again, very, very, I mean, I, it is a, I'm not a technical person, but automation will, and it can really assist you in being practical at succeeding at it. It's a, a really good tool that needs to be considered. So the other thing you want to consider is you don't necessarily have to have a permanent greenhouse. Like these are permanent greenhouses. They're, they're in the ground. They're anchored in the ground. They're, every post is two feet or more in the ground, and they're not moving. So when we I had a friend who bought a one and three-quarter acre greenhouse, and in that greenhouse I helped him do, move it around and, and helped him with some stuff. It had pipes in it, <clears throat> had pipes in the greenhouse, and he gave me a bundle of these pipes. And so we're going to build greenhouses. So we bought a Johnny's hoop bender. And we're actually going to bend our own hoops. And they're not designed to be a permanent structure. It's a structure that I can move around. So in the springtime, if I want to put my spring brassicas in, and Alan was talking about that, being able to cover things up, but you don't necessarily want, you know, maybe you can't afford to have 15 greenhouses. Well, these are very inexpensive. You go to Lowe's and you buy some top rail for chain link fencing, you buy two of those, and you bend them. You think of Jonathan Dysinger, he has his Caterpillar Tunnels. They're really excellent price for those. Already done, made. You can get stuff like that. Kits. Um, so when you, you can bend them yourself, screw them together. They get put in the ground for, they don't get put in the ground. You, you can do stakes in the ground, and then they just slide over the stakes. And then you strap, you, you do like ground anchors to hold them down. And so you can effectively move. What did, what did we show when, when, uh, he was, uh, when Alan was talking about the seasonal differences. Now you're going from six weeks having to plant something out to two weeks planting something out. And you can, you can get a lot more succession plantings in for the year. And that's a lot of money. I just want to mention, too, that you can do um, these hoops that you can put the row cover over inside of a greenhouse to also add another layer of insulation to the crops that are inside. Um, I just wanted to mention that too. And then this is a picture of our tomato house. And it's really exciting to have this greenhouse on our farm now. Um, it was a lot of work putting it up, but you definitely see improvement just in how the tomatoes grow. And he made it quite a bit taller just to really give it a lot of airflow, which has really helped with disease pressure. And um, we're very thankful for the greenhouse. Yeah. Um, you want to go to the next one? Yeah. So this is our, when we were building our washer, you can see all the wood and stuff is still kind of bits and pieces laying around from when we were building. But this is our walk-in cooler. You can't hardly see it. It's so dark, but um, it's an 8 by 12 foot walk-in cooler. We have racks inside. If you look over here, you can see the racks that we put inside. So anything that you can do to keep your... So when you come in, we were talking about bringing food in from the field. When you think about a walk-in cooler, and this might sound a little bit far out for some, some people who haven't necessarily been involved in, in market farming or market gardening, if you can think about making a door or getting a door for your walk-in cooler that is big enough for you to move a pallet in and out of, when you get cover crop seed, I'm hand-loading. I have a door. It's a, you know, just like a door you'd walk into your house. I mean, it's an insulated door, but it's that size. <clears throat> it means every time I get a pallet of cover crop seed or fertilizer that I want to have in refrigeration, I have to hand-move every single bag, you know, 50-pound bags, 40 bags for a ton, you know, or 45, whatever it is. Um, <clears throat> that's, a lot of, that's a lot of moving stuff. It's... There's no reason to do that if you just, if you can invest the money, it's worth it to consider a door that you can get a pallet in uh, with a pallet jack or something like that. Um, yeah, and if not, obviously you do the best you can with what you've got. Just wanted to share for the first two seasons, we used our personal refrigerator. We had two of them, one that was like what I would buy bulk in, that became the farm refrigerator. And then we would literally harvest as soon to going to market as possible because we didn't have a cooler but having a cooler is really a game changer 
because you can, you know, it just takes a lot of pressure off of you once you've harvested the food, if you can cool it properly, and then it will make it have a longer shelf life and be a better quality at the market. So just to give you an example, <clears throat> there's a misnomer about getting the freshest food you can. People will harvest salad mix morning of and bring it to market and think they are giving people the freshest salad mix they can get, the best. It's going to last the longest. It just was cut moments ago, you know, like hours ago. And their salad mix does not last. And the reason it doesn't last is because if you would harvest it the day before, 24-hour difference, and I bring it in and I hydrate it, I spin it dry, I put it in a box and I put it in a cooler, it will outlast their salad mix every time. If they do it, they hydrocool it, they put it in, and they take it straight without putting it in the cooler in a summertime condition. It won't hold like the stuff that's had time to, to chill in a refrigeration unit. All your greens will fu effectively function this way. And so it's amazing what hydration will do. When you take something and you hydrate it, and it brings that moisture in, and you basically crisp it, you lock that plant down when you put it in the refrigeration, it will hold that moisture way longer. And that's what wilting is. When you get, like we will have let, kale that we take to market and we'll put it on the table and it's beautiful, wonderful kale in about three or four hours, it looks like a pile of green mush. <laughs> and we will throw it in our box, you know, and we come back to the farm and I'll throw it in. And you would think this is just compost. I mean, any normal person looking at it would be like, that's useless. We bring it back, we throw it in the water and about, we leave it in there for two hours, three hours, come back, it looks like we just harvested it. It's all hydration. What you're fighting is hydration and dehydration. And so... Um, so lastly, uh, we're going to go in, Alan and uh, Aubrey are going to come up now. We just wanted to show you uh, so this was the, wash the extension we that we put on there. So this is the room that I extended on. The blue thing there is the pump to our well, and then that became our starts house to get them out of our living room, and then that's the wash station there. So we will have time for questions, um, so write them down as they transition into the presentation now. Okay, so we are going to be talking about two things. We'll, we'll probably be touching on a little bit, possibly, of the same information that Larry and Michelle did. Um, but maybe hopefully mention some new things here as well. We're going to be covering um, the wash house a little bit more in depth here with some pictures. Um, and we're going to be covering kind of the overall specs for an irrigation system. Um, and I'll, we'll get into that when we go. So, Aubrey, I'm going to take on the the wash house. So first question when it comes to the wash house. Can you guess what it is? Where should it be? And I might humbly suggest that planet Earth is a good location for a wash house. I actually, I have Amazon Prime and um, I do, yeah, I have Amazon Prime and they have like free different like movies, TV shows, whatever. Well, there was one on NASA, which is the, and it's like a six hour documentary on the history of NASA from humans' first interest in flight to um, the end of the space shuttle era. Anyways, so they were talking about the moon and Mars and I just don't get why the interest, like, like, yes, someday we will live on Mars. And I'm looking at it, and I'm just like, that just doesn't seem like a good idea. I just can't imagine a wash station on Mars. So I humbly recommend planet Earth, um, preferably your farm, that's also easier. Our humble recommendation is that, if at all possible, have the wash station in the middle of your farm. This is an AutoCAD image of our uh, farm layout, uh, part of which exists, part of which does not exist. We'll get into that a little bit later. There is, however, um, an exception and or general rule of thumb when it comes to having your wash house in the center of your farm. And what's that, Al? Well, if you live in a place like this, um, <laughs> you got to, th the general rule of thumb 
the general rule of thumb is um, go up empty, come down full. Okay, you want to work with gravity. And I know some people, they purchase a farm and it's like, I don't know what the deal is, but it's like, ah, oh, I want a farm. Let me put my house on top of the hill. And I'm like, no, you're going against gravity, people. Now, there are times when you can't put things at the lowest point because that's where all your water goes. <laughs> so there, there's a balance here. But the idea is that if you live on sloped ground, have your fields above your wash house, so you go up empty and you come down full and you're working with gravity. It makes a big difference. So that would be the only exception to the rule. Um, and of course, I just love that picture. I just, it's just like so freaky. <laughs> um, but anyways, um, so some people hypothesize um, how uh, the civilization of Machu Picchu failed. And I have a hypothesis as well. Their wash house was probably up there. <laughs> and um, as you can see, it, it didn't work out so well. So, um, <laughs> that's Tyler humor. Yeah. Anyways, okay, moving on now. So, next point, Aubrey. Let your wash house grow with your farm. I think Michelle briefly touched on, you know, like your first walking cooler was your refrigerator, right? So we just want to take you on a brief flashback on Better Together so that you can see our first, uh, our first wash house. Um, these are what you would call our baby pictures. Aww. So here is our um, little, what is this thing called? That is a cement mixing barrel that like you, a thing that you get at Lowe's. Yeah, so about yay large. Don't mind the cat food that's sitting right behind it. No. These are baby pictures, mind you. You gotta start with what you got. Our wash sink. This is our mudroom sink. Um, here's our, our way station. Yeah. My mom never got that bread scale back. Yeah, she we've, just donated it to the farm. we've had trouble with walking kitchen utensils. Yes, that has been an issue. We won't talk about that now. Um, and here's our walking cooler. Wait, no, that's our refrigerator. Looks like a refrigerator door. Is that liquid aminos? Yes. So, anyways. So, that was our first wash house. Then our second wash house, we upgraded. We actually moved outside. Um, we found this large three-bay stainless steel commercial sink at a... Auction, a maybe? silent auction, and these are great places to pick up fairly expensive, fairly expensive pieces of equipment. This sink, it's an amazing sink. We'll have pictures of it later too. You'll kind of see it. But that was, well, that was two hundred and one dollars that we got for that stainless steel sink. It's a really nice sink. So never, never try to buy your wash house stuff like brand new if you can help it. Try to get something that's been used, and you're going to save a lot of money. Right, and even though this was really nice and under a tree, it's probably not quite up to code when it comes to flying creatures that might like to... We, had a, we actually raised a baby blue jay, and she took baths in this sink, but we won't talk about that either. Just okay. it up good. <laughs> um, yeah, and this is our third wash house, which it was our last wash house before we relocated. So our current wash house is under construction, is under construction but this is our most recent operational wash house. Um, you see my dad is here in the foreground and my grandparents and my mom and I in the back. Um, so to give you kind of a bird's eye view of what our floor plan looked like, this was... The idea, we had our walk-in cooler on the top, well, on the top of the screen, our three-base sink, work tables here, a wash table down here in the south, a hydro-cooling tub, uh, harvest bins on that end, pack table. So when we were designing this, we tried our best to keep the flow in one direction so that you never had dirty backwash, in essence, so that... Dirty to clean. Yeah, dirty to clean. So we'd grab the harvest bins and go out to harvest, and then we'd come in on the west side of the screen to these work tables, which we called our dirty tables, and that's where we'd put our stuff. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to take that. I, I just wanted to, I did mean to take it, but anyways. Um, I just wanted to mention here real quick is that the door where we brought stuff in 
was west facing. And that's really important because you usually do the most of your harvest in the morning. And so it actually shades that, your, your building actually will shade that part. And so you can put your bins outside there and the sun won't hit them. And so while they're waiting to go in to be washed, they don't get scorched. And so that's a really practical uh, tip when you're designing. I would do it, you know, I would go from west to east as far as you're concerned. Take advantage of the morning sun not being there. In the wintertime, go from, no, anyways, <laughs> maybe the other way. And yeah. our current our current wash house is also waste yeah. west face. Oh, that's yeah. so smart. Okay. You didn't realize that? Not consciously. Oh. Okay. So come in on the dirty side and then the product would come in after we got like excess dirt off of it and it would go to one of three areas depending on the product um if it was like our lettuce mix or spinach or uh other such things we dunk them in the three bay sink because that went through a three three washes um and then if it was roots and stuff we do it on our wash table the hydro cooling tub was where we'd cool our head lettuces our kale our chards our we would put lettuce mix it really depended on what was in the tanks in the, the three bay sink so if the three bay sink was full the hydro cooling tank would be our 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 uh, overflow where we would put things in to hold and then we would scoop it out of there and do two washes uh, since it already had gotten its initial dunk then it would go from the washing area to the pack area um, we're this is still a process of refinement, so do not by any means look at this like the ultimate. It was not. I mean, there was plenty of times where like we could do this so much better, but just kind of showing you where we a got to. General flow. Yeah, general flow. Uh, then pack tables, and then once the process of packing was done, take it to the walk-in cooler, and then out to our van to delivery. So one important thing to note about this is that it's an open structure. Uh, which is really, really nice because you can be flexible with how you have things arranged because you're not dealing with walls and or columns and or permanent structures. Like if you had a house like in here with these posts right down the middle, I would want this a complete free span because I don't want to have to work around post in order to move tables. It just keeps the whole system really open and you can uh, manipulate it for different processing that you need to do. So just a couple pictures to show you what this floor plan uh, looked like in real life. Here was our wash table that I told you about for our roots and stuff. This was actually a, we used to squat and or sit on the base of that cement. Uh, and after about a season of that, I'm like, we've got to change our strategy. So Alan built us this wash table, which was inspired by a farm that we went and visited. And it was an absolute lifesaver. So here's where we're we're still working on figuring out how to work the hose situation so that the hose comes from above, and then we're working on figuring all that out. Um, but it's a step in the right direction. Um, some nice beats. Then that's our three-bay wash sink. Um, and just some of our spinach in there. It's our hydro-cooling tub, which was um, a, a used to be a contrast tub that we had at the place where my folks worked and when they closed it my mom got it for a really good deal planning to do hydrotherapy so the plants are getting the hydrotherapy right now until <laughs> she has a real place she can put it it works really nice uh, for doing our hydro cooling there's a little contention on who owns it I'd say the farm owns it she says they own it we'll see who wins in the end we're taking good care of it though just in case we ever need to do real hydrotherapy treatments on it right right yeah okay there's our pack table um, with, scales. with scales, yes. You, I don't know if, Larry, you mentioned this, but you want to buy good quality scales. Some of these cheaper scales just, like, break so easily, and then you're stuck. So I would definitely, I probably wouldn't spend less than $150 on a scale. If it's under that, it's probably a piece of junk, and it'll only last you for a few months. Um. I was going to say... The weight, what? The limit? What's the limit of the weight capacity? Or what? Weights and measures, they need to be, uh, they're regulated. Oh, right. oh, yeah, they're regulated. They need to be certified. Yeah. So right. we have a guy that comes in and checks the scales and... Well, then the, the design has to be certain, right? right. And that, too. Certain, yeah. And that, too. So say it again through the mic. Say it again in the mic. So there are people that sell scales that aren't necessarily built up to specifications. 
that it needs to be to be able to consider them legitimate scales that you can weigh and do selling with. So you want to make sure that they're certifiable. And then also for me, uh, is it Toro? Do you guys? Oh, no, it's Tro Tori. Yeah, that's what we use. Um, it's a really great brand. Yeah, if you want to connect with me afterwards, I'm happy to share with you the Amazon link that we got ours from. <laughs> okay, so here's a, just a little picture of our box. We'll share with you briefly a little bit later in another presentation about how we actually do our product distribution because it's a little bit unique. Um, and then here's our boxes and our walk-in cooler. And... Uh, the last, getting toward the last part of this section, multi-use infrastructure. We are big fans of hoop house structures um, because they're dynamic, they're inexpensive, they're a free span structure, so you're not going to have center supports in them. So they're very dynamic as far as inside is concerned, as far as you know, moving stuff in and out um, and, and around, and. These particular ones are actually bid on, built on two-by-two two skids, like uh, galvanized square tubing, and we welded uh, an inch and seven-eighths uh, thick, I don't know if it was 12-gauge, I want to say 14 or 12-gauge um, pipe on top of it, about six inches tall, and that's what we slid our hoops into. And the idea is that it's not bolted into the ground, and because where we first started farming, we knew we weren't going to be there long term. It just wasn't the, t well, we'll talk about why it wasn't in, in, a, in our last lecture, but it just wasn't, um, we, it wasn't where we knew we were going to be long term. So we wanted to have something we could take with us. And so making sure that your infrastructure is not only inexpensive and light, but needs to be very mobile. And that's why we like the hoop house. So we're just going to show you kind of how this has gone through many renditions. First, well, you want to go through this, Aubrey? Sure. Okay. So this was Alan's first hoop house. He got it back in 2012. Yes. Spring of 2012. February of yeah. 2012. Um, and it was his first hoop house, so he had tomatoes in it. And then it became our first seed house. And then it became our first wash house. And now it's our first pump house and shop. Um, yeah, yeah, different location. It's moved every single time as it's been repurposed. It's a mobile structure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so Alan and I were thinking we'd go ahead and give it the name Pioneer. Who knows? Maybe it might be my first house. I mean, you know, you never know. <laughs> I mean, well, at, this rate, at this rate, it's moving up in the world. Yeah, true. Okay, so one other thing to consider with wash houses, um, you're going to be using a lot of potable water, so you need to make sure that your floors drain well. You don't want to be in a swimming pool. I just want to mention one thing about the hoop houses. If you're in a super cold climate, unless you're going to heat that hoop house, it's it, there's just there are just physical limitations to hoop houses as well. And I'm not sure if I would use it as a wash house if I was, let's say, above zone six unless it was heated, because I know Coleman uses it as a wash house. Um, but you, you have to rethink your whole design, especially when you're going farther north and, and, and try to, to add heat in and stuff like that to really make it. But then when you add heat and, yeah, so you just, need, just, just take that as a kind of think, okay, if I'm gonna be using this and I'm gonna think about using it when it might be freezing outside, this is pro hoop houses like this are really only for spring, summer, fall production. If you're ever going to try to go through a winter with a hoop house, it has to be heated. You know, put a double layer, make it into a greenhouse, basically. Just wanted to mention that. Got it. So I have a, a thought here. We have three minutes left, but we have the, the coming presentation. We could probably put your irrigation section in with the next presentation so we can finish the wash house and okay. have a long okay so that's what we're going to do we're going to just finish this wash house bit and then we'll save the irrigation layout for the next presentation and we'll bundle it with efficiency so make sure your floors drain well so we'll talk about let's talk just briefly about wash house floors there's three kind of large generic types um dirt gravel landscape fabric and cement um so pros and cons to these different types of floors. Dirt is, well, dirt. So it's <laughs> super economical, like it doesn't cost you anything because it's already there. Um,
but it's really hard to clean. It gets really muddy. We are taking it as an assumption that your farms do have dirt on them. We don't want to, you know, you might be true, like, true. Th this might not be the case. You know, you never know. Just want to make sure that. More than likely, More than likely the yes. dirt's already there. Uh, okay, so dirt, but it's just on a lot of ways not a good idea. If you're just starting out though and you're trying to experiment, might not, eh? might not be a bad idea. Um, gravel is what we have used primarily it's in our, and it's been, it's been pretty good. The, the downside in my mind is, well, especially if you get the finer gravel. Because you get the larger gravel and standing in there for several hours during a day, it really starts to hurt your feet and your legs because, you know, you're constantly walking on this very uncomfortable, unlevel surface. Um, but if you get the finer gravel that's not the dusty kind, what's that called? It's, it's, it's uh, washed gravel. Wash gravel, yeah. It's, it's not all that bad. The downside is when you get like a veg, um, like your wilty veggies and stuff it's on the ground, it's hard it. to clean up and you can't, you know, so there's downsides, but it is economical and it's not permanent. So if you have your wash house in one area and you decide you want it in another area later, it's fairly easy to move. Or leave um, behind. Sorry? Leave behind. Or leave behind, yeah. Um, landscape fabric. Oh, that's what we have in this current one. Yeah, we'll which see how it goes. Larry said that they used it in Seattle, right? And he said it was a mud mess. Yeah, so we're like, uh, our, but it is economical. Our base soil on our farm is a sandy loam, so it drains pretty well. So I don't know if, I don't know, we'll see. I don't know if we'll have the same issue that Larry did. I think yours was probably a denser soil, possibly. Seattle next to a slough. Okay, sounds dense. <laughs> so anyways, just, just oh the, it, it might work. We'll see. This will be an experiment. Next year, come back and no. <laughs> yeah, we'll tell you what we learned. Um, and then cement, which is kind of like our ultimate cement, like, oh, when we get to cement floors. Because then with cement, it's really easy to spray off. Um, you can roll things. So you use wheels and save your back, which sounds like a really nice idea. Um, really easy to clean. I think I said that already. You can put an epoxy and make it whatever color you want. Yeah, it can be yeah, really creative. Then, yeah. So cement is, but it is permanent and it is very expensive. So it's kind of something that we don't want to do until we're certain, hey, this is our forever home, and then we put it down and invest in that. So those are the four general types of that. And we're going to go ahead and stop, uh, take a break, and then we'll jump into small farm irrigation. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.